All right. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome back to another Learning Tech Talks where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff. Uh, today, I am joined by a return guest. I've got Valimus back here. They haven't been here since December of 2020. But to help me navigate this conversation, I've got Yari Yavela. Relatively close. Did I get it? Thank you. Actually, pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have I don't have the accent, so I can't pull that off. And I've got Phil Perver, yeah. and we're going to be talking about kind of the whole concept of end-to-end -end solutions, but also what that looks like in practice, because it's not just about features and all of that stuff, and it's also about the partnership that comes along with that. Which I think this is going to be a really helpful conversation for folks as you're thinking about this, because I don't know a single learning leader in my peer group who isn't being tasked with trying to figure all of this stuff out. So to get things started, though, for those of you who are joining live, feel free to comment in. Let us know where you are joining from. But let's start with you, Yari. Where are you right mm. now in the world? You said it's 8.30 mm. or something like that, right? Although now it's 9 p.m. Yeah, it's, it's actually 6.30. 6.30, but it's, it's really dark. It's really dark. So mm. I'm, I'm in, yeah, I'm in Finland uh, in the uh, Eastern part of Finland, quite in the middle, in like north and southwise okay. of the country, and something like a bit over 100 kilometers to Russian border, so really east. And okay. uh, yeah, it's it's getting close to winter. This is the like darkest time in in the year. But yeah, I was going to ask seasonality. Yeah. I was going to ask seasonality because yeah. <laughs> it's getting dark there, like it is here. But temperature wise, and I may have to do a conversion. But like, is winter starting? Do you have snow? Is it starting to get that cold yet, or not quite? We had first snow actually, like in the weekend, so but it oh, melted did. away. But we are we are getting snow quite shortly, so that's gonna okay. stay on the ground. So it's it's that time, yeah. All right, all right. Now, do winters get pretty brutal there? Is it get really cold? I mean, I have no idea what it's like. It depends on the perspective. So I'd say yes, <laughs> depending right. where you are from. So it's, it's <laughs> like um, in Celsius, it might be twenty five minus twenty five degrees Celsius in the like the middle part right. of Finland. So it's actually quite cold, yeah. Okay. All right. So I grew up in Minnesota, which is close to the Canadian border, and we got pretty cold like that. So I can relate to that. So if you talk yeah. to somebody from Florida or something like that, they'll say that's a brutal winter. If you talk to somebody from Minnesota, they may say, hmm, sounds about average. Yeah. So Phil how, Phil, how about you? Where are you? I'm actually on the fourth floor of a Hilton Hotel in Birmingham in, uh, in England. Um, okay. So I've been here at a conference and exhibition for the last two days, but um, normally I'm based in France. Okay, so normally you're in France, you're in England right now, and is it weather? Is it starting to get wintry there? I don't know how winters compare. Yeah, as bad as Finland? No, no, I don't think anything's as bad as Finland, Yari. Um, just, just here. I mean, it's gray, gray and dull, but windy. I've not actually been outside for two days. Um, back in France, we're down in the Alps, and there we had the first good dump of snow last weekend um, at above above about two thousand meters. Um, okay. So yeah, it's coming, but there we got the height as opposed to where Yari is. He's got the northerly latitudes. <laughs> got it. All right. Well, different reasons. We had, we don't have snow yet. Thank goodness. I'm not looking forward to when it does come because I know when it does, it's going to just be brutal. This this season has stayed a little bit warm. So anyway, so let's jump into this because it's been now almost almost two years on the nose since Valmus has been here, but. For those who may not have gone that far back in the archives of learning tech talks, Valimus may be a vendor they're less familiar with. So I'd be curious when you say you work for Valimus, how do you describe, or where, where do you put that in terms of your description of what Valimus is? I'll, I'll let yes. you choose who answers first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I go first. So, yes, yeah, so, so Valimus is it's an, essentially it's an end to end learning platform. So we combine the learning management system capabilities, LMS capabilities, uh, to LXP capabilities. Maybe we are going to talk a little bit more on the terms later on. We will. And uh, also content creation and then a really strong data and analytics. So we have our own learning record store uh, that is automatically all the learners' activities, the data is collected since the day zero of the implementation of the platform. So it's really out of the box. So we collect the data store it to the LRS, and we have a reporting engine, so you can do analytics out of that. But we also use that for recommendations, and in the future, more and more into machine learning as well. So using the same data uh, for reporting, and then, then to add some intelligence to platform as well. And yeah, e-commerce, 
e-commerce as well. So we support that as well if you want to commercialize your uh, training offering, if you have a subcontractor, okay. for example, that you want to serve. So we do it as well. But that's the technology stuff. So end-to-end platform. But what is really important for us as well is that we are a strategic partner for our customers. So we have an extensive platform. You can do actually many kinds of things with it, formal learning, informal learning, and so on. But we, we use the partnership approach uh, to actually realize the learning vision of our customers, make them go there where they want to go, actually. So it's not just the technology that is making that happen, but it's really the people who do it. So we have, for example, data scientists, data analysts that are helping our customers with the data, KPIs and so on. And also learning consultants when we talk about different approaches of learning, how to support different learning cultures in the organizations and so on. So quite a multidisciplinary uh, expertise. So partnerships are really important for us. Which we're going to which we're going yeah. to get into, because I think it's a really important yeah. conversation to have amidst many conversations around features and functionality of different mm. systems. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But we are really data heavy as well. So like I mentioned, it's important part, but I, I'd say it's like the third cornerstone of our, our approach to, to the solution stuff. <laughs> got it. Well, and I'm guessing, Phil, if you were just at a conference, you probably got pretty good at the, you know, when, I mean, you probably had people coming up all over asking questions. So I'm guessing, you know, you, you would probably validate what Yari has to say in terms of how you describe it, or maybe you've got your like, five second hit on what it is. <laughs> I do very, very little in five seconds. I tell you, Christopher. So that's not good. <laughs> and the guys will know me of it. Um, I think the interesting angle for me, I could repeat what Yari just said, and I don't want to do that, is my company got bought by Valamus last year. Really? And okay. When you look at the vendor marketplace out there, there's a lot of people I wouldn't want us to have been bought by. And I think what was unique for me about Valamus was it's led by a really enigmatic, a powerful presence in Yussi. Um, the moment I met him, I felt incredibly comfortable with the whole philosophical approach of the company. And whilst we've got all the things that um, Yari's spoken about, it was an easy decision because it was a similar value set, the way we engage with customers, putting the customers at the heart of what we're trying to do. And actually, the way we engage after we've made a sale and so on. So for me, Valamus is about more than just that product. And it's really building on Yari's point of partnership and having brought the team into the company. And like any integration in, there's highs and lows and, and you know bumps along the road. It just feels incredibly comfortable. And then sharing that with our customers, that energy, that passion, that focus in trying to solve their problems. That's for me what Valamus is all about. Okay. Well, I actually want to go, you know, I debated on where I was going to go with this one in terms of starting there or wrapping that at the end. But I think this point is really important to focus on on the front end because I do think it sets the tone for it. Because we could get into a discussion on defining an LXP and splitting hairs over what features and functionalities, which I do want to do because I think that term gets thrown around a lot in terms, there's a lot of ambiguity around learning experience. Um, and I, I have no doubt that you've learned a lot over the past couple of years since we last talked, which you've been doing this longer than that. But the past couple of years, I have to imagine, have played a big role. But this component of customer engagement and the partnership piece, I don't think it can be undersold when it comes to the partnerships that practitioners, I'm speaking on behalf of the practitioners, and I can just say from experience, the line that has to be towed with that, because I've had plenty of experiences where there seems to be two extremes on this. One is, you know, we get, we, our goal is just to get the contract signed get the ink on the paper, lock you into a three-year deal. And once we do that, we might provide some light support to make sure the whole thing doesn't blow up and you get out of your contract because of some legal you know, juxtapose that you're able to pull out of. And then there's the other end, which is almost, you almost become a full-blown advisory firm or consulting firm to the company. Where do you walk that line in that? Because I think it's an important line for people to understand. And it's something that it's not going to show up in an RFP list. And I think that's an unfortunate part is that a lot of times when people are going into these vendor processes, they're evaluating texts and specs and going back and forth on, well, you have this and you have this and, oh, we really want yeah, this and exactly. that. But it's like, without this other end of it, 
all the features and functionalities really don't matter. Yeah. I, I would like to <clears throat> elaborate it in, in a perspective. So like on the, on the customer journey where we start. So we, we already, our approach is that we start the partnership already on the commercial stage. So obviously customers have some wishes for the features. They have like usually a big list of actually requirements sure. and different features that they, <laughs> they require, but, but it's, it's like how you, how you interact with the customers. So you can be really like uh, just looking at the features, looking at the functions, focusing on the platform, but you're bringing the experts actually really early stage on the commercial stage of the process. So we can actually start actually the thing that the customers want to solve with the platform. So that's, that's one thing. So how we, how we, we start the partnership really, really early. Okay. And obviously continue throughout the like uh, commercial process. And, um, and uh, then in the implementation stage, for example, we always create a learning concept with our customer because we really want to know where, where they're going with the solution, what they want uh, solved. So we, we create this learning concept that is sort of like the outline on, on the whole solution and also the collaboration together uh, in the implementation and in the future. And, uh, Throughout the life cycle, we, we also have meetings with the customer. We look at where they are going. They are using the platform. They are collecting data, for example. We can look at, okay, what the data tells you, and then what to, like, uh, if, if, if some interventions, for example, is, is needed based on the data and so on. So sort of like being there throughout the life cycle. But um, our goal is not to replace the L&D or the experts. So we are in the supporting yeah. role there. So we are not going that super deep in that sense because, well, the customers that we serve, they, they are usually L&D, they have experience, but we want to really like support them in the work and like adjust our platform and the opportunities into their, their goals. So well, that's and, you the and you can't replace the expertise that comes from the folks who are on the inside because they do understand what's going on in the organization and all of that kind of stuff. So I have to imagine there's this fine line, but I am curious, you know, just how that, because I see this continuing to be, I've, I've been through them myself and also helped a lot of folks through kind of this whole process of evaluating tech and doing this. And one of the things that I think is unfortunate about it is a lot of times the process is designed to actually limit the connection between the partner and the practitioner through this process, which I think is a huge disservice because it, it does end up just really focusing on, well, let's stack rank these different companies against each other, which in my opinion does not in any way, shape or form tell the whole story in terms of as you're making a holistic decision on this. No, I would agree with that. And you asked the question about, are you just going to get the licenses in and leave at one end of the bookshelf or are you there as a learning consultancy? And we've got to be more towards the learning consultancy. But that in mm. itself throws something up in the sense that there are so many stakeholders now. I've been in the industry <laughs> many, many years. And there used to be a time where you could go into the L&D department, you would do a demonstration, yeah. they say we'd love it, could we buy a one-year license? And I'm just going to talk to my boss and sign away so many thousand dollars, <laughs> euros, whatever. Yeah. And there may be three or four people in the... Um, decision-making process now you've got 10 and you've got that's if it's a well-organized one in a smaller company <laughs> and and you just go through these processes and sometimes you lose the will to live um because you you, you, you kind of it's it's the fatigue sale you know where you actually work out the cost that everyone's put in on some of these massive tenders and i think people lose sight of the fact that Ultimately, a vendor should be an extension of the L&D department in a way yeah. in the, that we're not there to replace, we're not there to do, but we're there as trusted advisors. So very much at the heart of everything is that former heads of L&D should be, if you like, the account people, not salespeople. And yeah. when you're driven by VC money and you're, you're on the stock market and it's all about growth, 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 get more and more licenses, get more and more licenses in. I think there's a danger for everyone, including us always, um, yeah. to lose sight of the fact of what are we trying to do? We're trying to solve a problem. We're trying to add the business value. We're trying to engage all stakeholders. And sometimes by being an extension of the L&D department, they will use us to help them where they might be a little bit inexperienced or they say, well, could you just help with this? And that to me means 
you're not actually at that pure learning consultancy end where you don't have a platform perhaps, but you're just advising and there's a whole marketplace there. You're not at the other end where you're going, hey, just get the licenses in and we'll see you in a year's time. Oh, and by the way, if you want to use customer success, that costs you a thousand dollars or 800 pounds or whatever it might be per day. It's really about ensuring value to all stakeholders, not just the L&D team. And that's really where the focus is for Valamus. And it's so important. Well, and, and I think it's so that even this, what's funny about this, this goes back to the original reason I even started this live stream was my perpetual frustration with the fact that this is an area that is often missed and overlooked in our field in that there is this middle school dance attitude of vendors and, and practitioners where it's kind of, you're on that side of the gym and we're on this side of the gym. Yeah. And I've always felt like we need to get everybody on the dance floor because to your point, if you do this right, the vendors and the partners you select should be an extension of your team. It's exactly. not just going yeah. and selecting something and then buying it and going, thanks so much for the product and moving forward. It's not this transactional deal, at least not the ones that I've seen work really well. And to your point, this is something that I think in the process of evaluating technology does not happen enough. And not, there's and maybe some of it is there's not nice metrics that people look at that where you can easily evaluate how does this one stack to that. But it is one that I've I've seen over and over just not evaluated as part of the process. And it ends up leaving people either really successful or not successful. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with the technology. Exactly. And if you ask a question and you say, okay, tell me your longest client, how long have they been with you? In Valamus's case, it's 19 years. Okay. And you say, okay, so have you been with, what size <laughs> company was that? Because I tell you now, it's not the same chief exec or it's not the same leadership team. It's not the same head of L&D, but somehow you've reinvented yourself with your product, with your approach. Is it 16 years, 15 years? Or actually, most of your clients are less than five years. And you can then start to say, doesn't that tell you something philosophically about how you engage with your clients? Because you yeah. can all go chase features across the marketplace. But it comes back to the simple thing. What are we trying to solve together? And the big thing is making sure there's trust and that we, and it does come back to that extension thing. And that, you asked the question about what is Valamus. Well, that's in the DNA of the company. And that's what's so important. Not only have we got a great product, and I know we're going to dive into that in a minute. We will. We'll get there. But this is an important part to highlight because it doesn't get talked about enough. No. And I think the irony is I sit through a lot of conferences and the more and more technology and you're going to learn about the latest this, the latest that. Actually, the irony is it's the humans that make it work. And it's having that right partner <laughs> in the organization. And I've always had my bet noir is line management. Because the poor old L&D teams who are scurrying around and they're normally under-resourced and they're reacting and reacting. And it's that engagement of line managers. And one of the questions I always used to ask people when I was in sales cycles was, how do you rate your line management capability on a scale of one to 10 to be those coaches and mentors and work with your team to embed the training into the job? And the best I got was average. And people realize because they're very often paid on very different measurements than the development of their people. And don't get me wrong, there's some great, great line management out there. But generally speaking, when you look at the stakeholder map and ensuring we're looking after the user, the L&D, finance, procurement, IT, the line management, for me, I always felt that's where the rubber met the road is that line management employee relationship, yeah, not chucking it back at L&D. Well, and you know, what's, what's interesting about the point, and this is a good point for folks who are in the process of evaluating technology, that question of how long, you know, how long is your average customer tenure type of a thing? It is a really important question, especially I would say even more so now than it was let's say five or 10 years ago, because if you think about it, I mean, and, and this is just my experience in the industry is five or 10 years ago. You, the technology wasn't changing quite as frequently. There were a lot less players in the field. And honestly, moving from one technology to another was really, really, really hard. 
I mean, I know plenty of my peers who they stayed with platforms they absolutely hated, but it was because, well, good grief, the amount of effort that would go into migrating from this platform to this platform was just, it, it felt onerous. And now I would say it's become much easier. And I think this is starting to see if people are still sticking around now when they have lots of options and it is much easier to move, that does say something about, about the partnership that people have with an organization. Because if every three years when contract renewal comes up, people are shifting gears, that does speak to that, does speak to that partnership. Absolutely. When you look at the large, really big enterprise companies out there that say they can do everything, you know, from, from the HR, the talent, <laughs> performance management, recruitment, an LMS, LXP, whatever it might be. There's some massive players out there, but very often they're controlled from the IT department. And in the old, yeah. the old days, um, it was controlled by L&D much more or by the HR department because they were smaller systems that did a subset of all those things. And of course, it comes back to the point about the stakeholder map and then sometimes navigating your own organization because people have got different drivers. They've got different success factors, um, you know, in terms of what is going to make this successful. Um, and now when you've got all the economic landscape of hybrid, you know, or people saying, I'm only going to come in on a Friday or whatever it might be. And everyone talking about digital transformation and the skill shortage and everything else. There's a sense often of a car headlight syndrome of yeah. if I'm looking to, to create something new, where can I go where I feel safe? It's a yeah. trusted pair of hands with not only a great product like we have at Valamus, but that for me, it's that philosophical approach of how we engage and being proud of that and somehow getting that across, as you were saying, Christopher, in an RFP, it's virtually impossible. It's very, it's very difficult. It's very difficult, especially if you're in the state. And, and I think that's where people have found value in conversations like this, where they get a feel for how people are prioritizing. Because again, if you're, if your RFP is handed off to purchasing and the last, and you don't see anybody until it's already gone through 10,000 rounds of stuff, it's difficult to really assess that. Now that, that leads me to transition over a little bit to the technology piece, because one of the things you brought up was this mix in the market of when, when end to end is another one of these ambiguous terms where end to end could be, you see end to end HR systems out there that are trying to do the whole HRAS all the way across the market, which is really big, then you'll see end-to-end -end in different flavors, end-to-end -end content development. Where do, you're in the learning experience market category. When you say end-to-end, -end, what is the scope of the end-to-end -end for Valamas? Yeah, so that is the thing that we have obviously thought a lot uh, as we design our product yeah. and we make the decision, decision that we are going to focus on the learning experience. So okay. everything related to learning. So there's sort of a like border we, we like to we like to draw. So we're not going to uh, evolve ourselves to HR solution, not, not to a talent marketplace, not to a skills, uh, skills cloud solution yeah. or skills taxonomy provider we integrate with those yes yes but our, our focus definitely is the learning end-to-end -end ecosystem and uh, focusing on the learning experience so essentially everything that we do is sort of uh, the, the goal is to provide the best possible learning experience for the for the customers so sometimes it's really hard to draw the line in a sense but that is a really good <laughs> guideline for that so yeah. So that's, well, that's I, I have to going. imagine. I have to imagine that has been, like you said, an area that you've had to spend some time actually getting really intentional on. Is mm -hmm. where where do we draw the line? Because I think there is this risk and this temptation for a lot of companies where it's like, well, we're doing this. Why not also do this? And why don't we also come into mm -hmm. the market? And there's pressure from customers. I I would imagine who are like, well, can't mm -hmm. you? also do this or can't you also add this and being able to draw that line and say this is where we have to draw the line has probably been a little bit of an exercise yeah yeah definitely okay but it, it seems okay. to be worked worked really well so so obviously like we let uh, our customers potential customers know about us in the marketing like the white papers we do so there's always some sort of like clue for the customers what is the focus for us so we really end up in 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 tenderings that the 
customer is looking for extensive HR solution and with a small piece of learning aspect in there. So it's how we communicate ourselves out there as well. So that, that helps to draw the line. So Well, and I think it's... Oh, go for it. Go for it, Phil. Well, I was going to say, I think there's the other side of it is whether you decide you're going to do something bespoke for a customer, because when you look at the SaaS models out there today, you've got to make a decision. Is this just... If we develop that, is that useful for that one customer or could it be used for all customers? And and so you will always, and then you've got the whole product roadmap and you're saying, look, we want to collect the priorities of what you need our core platform to evolve. And therefore you can suddenly look at your platform, as Yari says, it's having that discipline to say, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're not going to do and how you clearly communicate that to your customer. And th then there's no doubt about it. And, and by having that roadmap moving forward and the processor that Yari runs inside Valamus just makes it so transparent and simple. Okay. So I want to break this down a little bit because it's going to take me to the next transition piece. When we say, so I think we drew like what's outside the lines for Valamus, which would be outside of the learning experience. So if it's, you know, again, and, and this is where the integrations going back to evaluating is a really important conversation to have. Because if people aren't coloring outside these lines, which I think there's tremendous value in this, the idea that you can get one app to do it all, I just, I'm not a fan of it in any way, shape or form when you think about everything across the board. So you're in the lines of the learning experience piece. What are the major categories for you as you define that? So, you know, as for folks who may go, okay, end-to-end -end learning, I think you highlighted it at the beginning, but are there major chunks of that that you would call out in terms of within your portfolio? I think we use the traditional uh, terminology in the industry. So okay. like I, I mentioned in the beginning, so we are an LMS. So we support okay. uh, compliance, we support certification, we support onboarding training. So like traditional type of like top-down training in a yep. sense. So that's what domain we want, to, where we want to be. But of course, within that domain, for example, when we create a tool for having quizzes or exams, which is a really traditional way to uh, to, to deliver learning and, and uh, measure learning in a way. So we have that tool, but we don't want to have like super million different like sub-features and administration capabilities for that. But we want it yeah. to be like... Uh, quite extensive to the most of the cases and so on. So it does its up well, but it's not super specialized. Okay. And, okay. and, uh, and another uh, domain to look at is the learning experience platform. That's, that's like also a really big thing is that we looked at as a bottom-up approach of, of learning. So the LMS piece for us, it, it's top-down. So organizations yep. sets you. Sort of I call it the cost account. of doing business. Every yeah. every yeah, yeah. major we organization has yeah. some of this that they've yeah. got to do. They've got to make sure they have classes structured and content that can get yeah. pushed out from a compliance, all of this stuff. Yeah. And, and the LXP part, yeah, bottom up, the learner is in center. So the learner is, is sort of what they, they take responsibility on their own learning and the platform is supporting them by providing recommendations of good learning opportunities or appropriate learning opportunities for that that person so that is like uh, another domain of of okay. like functionalities that we have in our platform and um, when you look at content creation so that's that additional the next piece on on that is that um, uh, there we had an approach that we want to have a content creation tool that is really easy to pick up and start using but on the other hand, you can do some rich e-learning content with that. It's not that expensive, extensive like uh, authoring e-learning authoring software, okay. but it does it job well. It has a lot of capabilities uh, within, but it's still easy to pick up. So if you know how to use PowerPoint, for example, you can do that. And the rationale on, on that is that you can support different content strategies within the organizations. So if you have a big organization, you have a professional e-learning content creators. They can use uh, authoring software like Articulate, Storyline, and, and so on. These kind of a tools to create really like rich content. But then you might have a subject matter experts that are not professional digital okay. learning content creators, but they can pick up the 
tool and create content and share it with other people in, in the organization. So that's sort of like how we look at the content creation and, and how we, what is the philosophy on, on that piece? Okay. Uh, well, I, I appreciate, I, I'll let you keep going with it, but I appreciate the clarification on that because I think sometimes when you hear content authoring capabilities built in, it does sometimes bring up questions with folks of, you know, well, what kind of capabilities and is this replacing all of the authoring tools and all this other mm -hmm. stuff, which I think that's where I'm going to get going next. But I think helping that distinction of opening up the capability to say, you may have folks in the organization that need to create content. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to have licenses or even the skills or capabilities mm, yeah. to author some of this more yeah. complex, rich content. Yeah. But for Valamis, we really believe in this approach. So anyone actually in the organization can pick up the tool and share knowledge with each other. So okay. we don't add any like uh, license price. It's all included in Valamis, the like, price that you are paying in the organization. Okay. So we don't calculate you have 10 content creators, but it's, it's available for for all of that's that's really important part so we want to encourage people sharing their knowledge with our, our platform by using the okay. tool that yeah. we have uh, and really important when, when i talk a little bit about the analytics capabilities and the data collection so uh, everything in Valamis is x api compliant so all the actions that the learner do in the platform we collect the data <laughs> by using x api so it's really standard so so it's not any proprietary technology that we are using or how we store the knowledge, but it's it's really standard. And um, data sort of like, it's, it runs through the platform, the whole philosophy. So when you interact with learning content, either by creating our own content creation tool, the studio or external content, if you, for example, like something that your colleague did, like do a social activity, we collect that as an XAPI statement. And it's all out of the box. So no additional installations are needed for the analytics and data collection to work. So when you start running Valamis, you will get data from the date zero of the implementation, okay. just when you start to do it. So we wanted to make that really, really, really easy so you don't miss, miss out any data. So okay. like data-wise, that's the domain. XAPI is really standard and it runs through the platform. So everything is automatically collected. Okay. So would those be then, so just to, let me, let me replay it back to you. Cause I think this will help just lay it out. And then you correct me. Cause then there's also the piece that you, at the beginning, before we went live, you're like coming this year. And I was like coming this year, it's November type of a thing. So part of it is, I think the baseline foundational component of the learning management system, which is, is an important distinction to understand because there are, there are plenty of products out there that they intentionally may not have that or they don't have that capability or it's not necessarily fully mm. fleshed out, which I've seen plenty of organizations kind of move towards let's go away from an LMS. And <laughs> I don't think I've encountered very many organizations that actually can do it because there's just some baseline foundational needs that you need as an organization from a compliance and legal <clears throat> tracking system and some of that capability. So you've got that component. You've got the broader learning experience kind mm -hmm. of front door kind of recommendation, kind of how people engage and partner with learning and, and get that whole experience piece that's a layer on top of it. You've incorporated the authoring, not necessarily to eliminate the need for authoring tools mm -hmm. in an organization or to cannibalize all of that, but to open additional opportunity for people to say, listen, you may have your dedicated L&D teams that focus on rich content authoring, but you've also got this other audience and I can just mm. from my experience, I know exactly who you're talking about where you've got this SME or somebody in the org who has the capability or might be looking to create things to support an audience. They might not even be a SME. They may be a dedicated yeah. support resource and they're randomly creating things in different ways. And it's, it's kind of a mess. So you're opening that capability and then also really going into the analytics, which, I'm going to tell me if I captured those kind of end-to-end, -end, the four big yeah. rocks correctly. That is, that is really good wrap up, actually. And uh, uh, one way to put it is, is that we, we like to support different approaches for learning. So formal learning, informal learning, and social learning, and so on. And we want that to be uh, accessible from the same end-to-end -end platform in a user-friendly manner. So we, So depending on your learning culture, your approach, or 
which type your organization actually is, what is the business that you are working with, in is that the platform is supporting different approaches. You can adjust, uh, adjust like how you use the, well, the platform adjusts actually to your learning culture. That's that's yeah. the, maybe the thing that I want to say here. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. So then that leads me to this transition piece, which is. Um, I want to dig into the analytics piece a little bit because this is one of the things that I think gets missed sometimes when think people <clears throat> have these really complicated, and that's where I'm going to go after this is kind of like, how does that work in a super complicated organization? But one of the things is a lot of organizations have all this disparity and they don't recognize that pulling things together under one umbrella helps the analytics piece significantly, which I'm curious if you can dig into the analytics piece a little bit more because there's plenty of instances where I hear people talk about the analytics capability of their tech. And I don't know that I would really say what they're doing is analytics. I would say it's reporting, um, maybe some dashboarding, but I don't know that I would go as far as saying it's actually truly doing analytics work. And we talked a little bit before we went live when you said how you're going into the analytics piece and how you're using this X API to do that. If you, if you can, that would be helpful. I, I'd say like um, <clears throat> one, one way to put it is that as we collect a lot of data from all of the interactions, okay. so you have the data there and uh, then you have uh, some KPIs or certain kind of things that you want to measure uh, from the data you collect. For example, transformation of your learning culture from more compliance driven to like more personalized learning and, and these sort of things. So like the differentiation between reporting and analytics is, is in a sense that how you use the data actually. So you have a per certain kind of like goal, what you want to perceive. But we use dashboards a lot. We use reports as as well a lot but the important thing is that we also uh, talk with our customers that okay what they want to measure for example where they want to go what is important in their business and then we look at the dashboards that okay how we adjust the dashboards uh, that fits the customer use case okay. on, on their like use of analytics so the expertise part is really important and in many cases uh, we also help the customer to understand the data because even though we have been talked about the data and analytics a long time, the maturity level is not that high, actually. So no. people need help a lot. So it's completely new skill that you need to master in L&D, for example. So yeah. that's where we help. So the analytics for us is, is sort of like formed on the, on the business goals, how the customer wants to actually use the data, or we see that how they could be using the data for the benefits of, of their business. Right. And... Um, yeah, we use reports, we use dashboards, but we also use the expert insights when we look at that. And one of the things that, that we do and we would like to do more is to add external business data to the learning data. So okay. giving you more perspective on, for example, the learning impact. Okay, what happened in the business data after a training program or after you um, created, for example, some social collaboration group for example is there any like uh, yeah is there any sort of correlation between yes, what correlation, yeah, for example exactly so looking at the external business data and how you can merge these two data sources together better impact see what is happening and understand the phenomenon a bit bit better so that's also an important component that we that we that we do with our customers so well adding, adding that... to the mix so two things. So first of all, one, this goes back to what we talked about earlier in terms of the partnership, because this component of analytics is for many learning organizations, it is relatively either newer area or just less familiar mm. area where, you know, maybe folks have done some reporting, they pulled up some, some dashboards, things like this, but actually getting to mm. the insights of, well, what can we actually interpret from this? And not only what can we interpret from it and go, aha, but what are we actually going to action against that? You also talked about some of the expert insights and we dug a, we geeked out a little bit before we went live about some of the work you're doing with machine learning and AI to yep. be able to do this. Is this an area that you're seeing going further with that? Because I think there's huge yes. opportunity here yes. for yep. automation in some of this stuff that machines can be really good at finding patterns and correlating data and identifying some of these trends. Yep. Granted, you need to validate it, but... 
anything you'd add on that? Yes, definitely. So uh, we use the same data as we use for reporting and and, uh, and these dashboards. We use the same data for recommendations, for example, in our platform. Okay. The personalized experience. But what we are now building is that uh, we want to also, as we collect a lot of data, we want to create automated insights from the data. So you don't have to go to the dashboards and see what is happening. But if there's something like alarming happening in, in the learning cohorts, for example, so you will get automated notification that, hey, there, there might be these dropouts, for example, okay. or, or something else. Or, for example, some content that you are using in your organization or large list of content. What is the content health status, for example? That, do, you need to, do you need to act upon the content that you are sharing, for example? Right. So pulling in from the data what there is happening and creating these automated insights. So that's... That's something that we are now building and we are looking forward to release the first insight, set of insights uh, in this year, so in two months. So okay. that's really that's really interesting okay. for us now. Well, and I think this is, um, to me, this is a really exciting opportunity for where, you know, sometimes people ask the question of like, well, how is AI or what is AI going mm. to do for learning and development? And I think there's a ton of applications, but one of them to mm. me is this, where there's a lot, we're, we're capturing now more than ever, a lot of data on not only what are people consuming, but how are they consuming it? And mm. what are they doing as a result of that? And again, I can see we're pulling this business intelligence in would also be extremely valuable because you can then use the tech to start to scour through more data than any human could. I think that's yeah. the real benefit yeah. of the tech mm. is a person can only look at so much data in a set period of time. A machine is not limited yeah. to that in terms of its ability to quickly just gather, capture, and then give some actionable insights on that. I think yeah. it also, um, just adding to all this, is it comes back to what you said about what do I do with it? Yes. Um, I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've got data, great, loads of data, which is giving me these insights. But for example, I think there's an interesting thing which is exciting for L&D and that they're becoming business consultants or consultants in using the data, not necessarily to give you the answer, but to say there's a division of the company where this data is indicating something could be positive, could be negative and saying, hey, what's going on here? We've got a lot of low engagement in this area of the business. Mm -hmm. Employee engagement surveys are saying this high staff turnover. And, it's, and, and, it, and I'm using it in, as an example of them being a consultant and saying, hey, I've got this data. What, what maybe is going on here? It could be a line management issue. It could be something going on within that particular team. And you can make a change. You can make a difference. You yeah. can add value. And, and so for me, I think it's always a case of, so what do you do with it? And how do you add value <laughs> to, <laughs> to different stakeholders? Not, hey, I've got even more data and it's come really quicker. And I've got a lot more faster, quicker data. It's, well, it's and I think important. bringing this up, this is just a really good reflection point, I think, for anybody in our field to really think on as you're planning your digital strategy and what you're doing with this. Because I'll be the first to admit, I've been guilty of this myself over the years, where you put all this time into creating <coughs> really fancy PowerPoints that have really cool graphs and, and numbers and things like this, and, and you go, Look at that. Look at all this stuff, all this information that we have. We have all this stuff and we don't necessarily then go, but what are we going to do about it? What is this actually, what are we going to do as a result of this? Are we going to change our content strategy? Are we going to focus more in these key skill areas? Are we going to lean into this approach in terms of design because we're seeing that people are engaging more with this kind of content or this medium of content? If we don't have all that, a lot of times it's it's collecting data for, for what purpose? And I think that's one of the things where a lot of times I feel people don't know what to do with the data. And I think that's where what AI can do to help us say, hey, we're gathering this from lots of different organizations. We can start to help you see trends and actions that you might not pick up on. Okay. So I want to, I do want to ask about this because there was, 
you you tease me with it a little bit because that's so the analytics piece is something else that you don't we're, you got a month and a half or a month and month mm. and three weeks or something like that before the end of the year for the analytics piece. But then yeah. there was also this career. What was the what was the other piece we had talked about before going live? That's also something coming soon with the Valmus. Yeah, career burst. A product called Career Burst. We bought across from TWM. Okay. And when you look at that triangulation between skills and you look at learning and you look at career development, there's a whole lot of myths around about how I advance my career. And for a lot of people, I'm going to leave an organization to advance my career. And, and you look at some of the research from a lot of the analyst groups and you see people saying people are leaving organizations not because they don't like the organization, but because there's not an investment in me. I want to yeah. play through things that I love doing and I'm really good at. And actually, I, I'm, I'm, I just don't find I got that investment here. And there was a question asked of, of many people that say, well, if you had an hour now to advance your career, what would you do? And it was in a, I was, it's not my anecdote, it's somebody else's. And everyone in the room said I would tidy up the TV. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And, and, and you go, what? What do you mean you tied up your CV to advance my career? And I think there's a lot of myths around this that people seem to think that to advance my career, I've got to leave a company to do it. Whereas actually, yeah. there's a huge opportunity right now to do it inside. And what Career Burst does is it's a research-based tool with hugely rich content where we've worked with a really expert organization in this field. And we've got Gnostics in there to help people say, well, why don't I understand what I really enjoy doing? So what is it I enjoy doing? So look at my motivations. And also, what am I good at? And I, I'm good at, and I like doing, or I'm good at, and it drains me. So in Europe, I can do GDPR. It absolutely drains me. Yeah. And sometimes it's just not enough honesty about, oh, I can actually do a lot inside my organization. I can really get motivated by strengths and, understanding what I'm good at and what I love doing through motivations and then actually saying how do I go about having a career conversation inside the organization okay. and there's, there's two things there one is we've got to democratize it we've got yeah. to allow the whole organization to feel that they've got access to these world-class tools and content to help them inside their organizations not for the hypo or not for the selected few, but for everybody. There's got to be, in our opinion, democratization. And then it's whether it's individually driven. And again, the, the product will enable you to do that. Or it's manager stroke, coach stroke, mentor driven, where you can have those conversations. And that in a nutshell is what the, the product will do. And it's, it, it's got the key career conversations to have how to prep for it, how to do it, whether it's on your own and you want to go and talk to your boss about it, having done the legwork yourself, or you want to talk to your boss and there's a part of the product that most bosses don't know how to have a career conversation with their employees, and so there's a safety kit in there. Okay. And as Yari said, it, it's an exciting development. It ties up with skills, it ties up with learning, and the Valamus um, branded phase one will be out before the end of the year. Okay. Well, and I, the reason I wanted to touch on this, because I think it's extremely relevant right now. And it also ties to the, where you're drawing the lines, because you tell me if I'm wrong in my interpretation of this, because I think this is a really huge part that some might hear what you just described and go, isn't that career mobility? And to me, I would say not necessarily, Yes, but no. And I think this is where you're staying true to your lane of we're staying within the learning experience. There is the tactical mobility platform, which is more of an HRAS of like we're creating job profiles and doing all this skill stuff and moving people around in the internal marketplace. There's that. But what I've seen in a lot of organizations who have jumped on this mobility play is they've jumped to that without doing what you just described, which is, have you actually helped prepare your workforce how to even think about career development within the company? Because if you just throw a mobility platform at them and go, go look for other jobs, they don't even really necessarily have the requisite knowledge and skill to go, I don't really know what to do with this. 
this. I don't know how to do this very well and how to actually develop in identifying what I want to do next and what that looks like and what skills might I need to grow to be able to do that. And this is where you're staying true to the learning versus jumping outside the lane. I think that's a really, the very simple way I describe it is differentiate between you're not, what you just described as a mobility is what is my next role or what are the options for my next role. What we're talking about is once I know what my next role is, how do I do it? How do I learn how to navigate our organization? How do I learn to actually look at myself and say, I'm going to just be honest about what I really love doing and what I don't love doing. So when... I am looking at that next role. I'm going to be very upfront and say, these are the things I love doing. And very often jobs have not been invented yet. We, we all read that research. And yeah. so to have this ability to diagnose either for yourself or with your manager and actually look at that in that way, and then you've got access to great content and, and it ties back into skill development. It ties back into the core of Alamus platform. I agree with you. It's a very, very neat tight coming together in a triangulation of skills platform and how do I yeah. nurture my career? Well and, and and I just wanted to clarify that because I think this again is one of these really vague, ambiguous areas that a lot of people are talking about it, but what they mean with it is very different. Some are very transactional in terms of you know we're we're presenting different jobs to people and we're helping them yeah move and do internal skill, different job roles and all this other tactical stuff, which again, needs to happen. You need this in an organization. But what I've seen with a lot of people is, and maybe we're just spoiled in the learning and HR spaces. We've just been around this so much. I think a lot of times we know what needs to happen and we have the benefit of knowing you know, how to think about this and, and what to do. The average employee does not. And this is a really hard for them to know, how do I even figure out what I want to do and where I want to go next? Yeah, you're throwing more, you know, job opportunities at me, but I don't even know if that's something that I want to do or if I'm qualified to do or if I'd actually even enjoy it if I got there. To your point, Phil, part of the reason I didn't end up pursuing coding, even though I was really, really good at it, I hated it. I'm like, yeah. this drains me. I could spend my whole career doing this, but I would be absolutely miserable if I just sat behind a desk coding all day long. So when you when you look at the, the fact you democratize that and every employee and organization has these tools, which have been used around the world thousands and thousands of times is now digitized in the development platform. It's huge. And then you go back to the data. And actually, if you're making it anonymous, think, look at this organization. Look at what people are motivated by. Yeah. And, and and you then turn around and, and I sat through a conference recently where they were talking about the number one priority is learning culture. Well, every organization's got a learning culture. It might be terrible, um, but they've got one. And um, so when they, when they say, I, I love that you say that because I say that all the time. I'm like, people always say we need to build a learning culture. I'm like, you've got one, whether you yeah, realize exactly. it or not. Yeah. It just may not be the one you want. And that's fine. Yeah. But if you don't know what you want it to be, you're never going to get there. Exactly. So everyone's got it. And I think the other thing coming back to your point around things like career mobility is I think, and, and I think it's a guilt of vendors or, or analysts. They like to come up with a new buzz phrase. And therefore, everyone says, I'm now, I'm one of these players. I'm a career mobility player. So, and then, then people say, well, what does that really mean? And I do think, you know, adaptive learning is now big. You know, people keep talking about adaptive learning, learning in the flow of work. And you do, in my heart, come back and say, this is really interesting stuff. But what are you actually trying to achieve? What yes. is the problem we're trying to solve? And where do we add the value? And, and I think... Even with LXP, I listened recently to somebody saying that's the end of LXP. There'll be something new that comes out. And so I think I feel that all of us on the supplier side, the customer side, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of, um, people coming up with new buzzwords, new things. And, and that's why for me, and you asked about what Valimus is all about, is that safe pair of hands that you can feel comfortable. We'll navigate this together. We're, you know, and it's stormy out there. And that's that's where Yari was talking about the partnership approach. Um, and, and again, so I'm trying to wrap it up a little bit in there. But no, no, but it makes sense because it 
it is shifting a lot. And I think to this point, and that's why I wanted to take some time digging into some of these things and helping yeah. that because the categories can be helpful to some degree to at least help people understand, mm. like, okay, where are you playing? Okay, I get it. But to some degree, then when the tides shift, everybody thinks the whole world's changed. It's like, exactly. it hasn't. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We're still doing the mm. same thing, mm. folks. We're just doing it a little bit differently than we were before. And so I my last question, you, oh, go for it, Phil. No, I was just going to say very quickly, Christopher, you know, when you look at learning, you've got reasons to do learning for business reasons. You know, all the compliance, health and safety, money laundering, GDPR, whatever it might be, or on, on a leadership program. But then it's all about, for my own personal development, I'm using these systems because I'm motivated to do so, because I can better myself, or I'm interested in this, and the organization provides that opportunity for me. And I think when you start segregating out, I'm using the system because I really want to, and I'm motivated to do it to better myself. And although I'm not a manager and a leader now, I'm accessing stuff because that's something I aspire to. That's really inspirational. And when you get the data about that stuff versus I've got to do this course on money laundering, you know, right? Which you have um, to do because otherwise you're going to get sued and the company's going to get yeah, shut exactly. down. And I get it. Okay. So my last question, because I, I knew we would run out of time on this, but you know, it's, it's been two years since our last conversation, just kind of closing responses from you. I'd be really curious, have there been any observations that you've had from your side that you've seen kind of in the industry as the way maybe organizations are shifting or things that may have matured more than you thought or less than you thought? Or have, have there been any big lessons that have come out of the last two years with really the pandemic accelerating what I would say was already in, in the making, but it accelerated a lot of things? I would say like uh, <clears throat> in, in our perspective, so when the pandemic started, so uh, the first month of uh, the L&D was just like, uh, well, maybe running around what is happening. We need to transform our learning learning in our organization and other departments as well in the, in the companies were like okay what's going to happen but uh, like uh, I, I think like the pandemic started 2020 in the beginning of that in, in the September uh, people were getting a lot of like uh, learning platforms so we saw that there's like yeah. huge increase in the platforms like like Valamis and uh, also one of the things we noticed that uh, part of we provide the learning management system part, we provide the LXP part, but now these organizations, they were getting both. So we need to have the traditional stuff, but now as, as there has been some transformation happening because yeah. of the pandemic, we want our people also to develop themselves, like take the responsibility on their own learning and, and sort of like uh, be really independent on their on their learning activities. So that's sort of a like change that we we noticed that okay, people sort of like more clearly wanted to have the both worlds, like the okay. LMS traditional stuff and the and the electric part. So and the demand increased, I, I have to say as as well. When the first like shock uh, were dissolved. So okay. Okay. we had a lot of discussions. Okay. We're more so I guess if I would articulate that back, there was and, and I can see this. I think there was more of a compartmentalization of things earlier, you know, two, three years ago. And now there's this desire to say, we, we don't necessarily want to pick one or the other. We really need to be able to kind of do it all. The expectation yeah. has been rising. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. All right. Phil, anything you would add in terms of observations you've had over the past couple of years? Um, I think the um, our customers are changing the way they want to engage with suppliers massively. I think okay. I think there's a huge change in, in, in that. I think the whole the sales and marketing world is, you know, buyers are much more informed through informal yeah. networks, analyst mm. groups. And I think that's been hugely accelerated over the last two years, particularly through COVID. So when people are looking to change or they're looking for advice, they're 60% of the way through the cycle. Okay before they engage with suppliers now. And I, and I think that's a change. I think the, the technology is there and it's getting faster and faster and faster, more and more technology coming there. I just don't necessarily believe the marketplace is ready for it all. I think there's still some really yeah. basic requirements out there <laughs> where 
the sophistication of the buyer, and I'm not saying the whole market, no. is way behind where some of the technology is. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's therefore, and it just keeps coming back full circle to having that trust be, between the, trust, the two. Yeah. And with some of the storm clouds in Europe, I mean, obviously there's awful situation in Ukraine, inflation, recession. Um, the US has, I think, got a fairly important day today. Um, you know, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so you look at some of the storm clouds on the horizon, yeah, and they seem to be coming around a bit quicker. And I think you know, for L and D teams, they've got to stay flexible, they've got to stay nimble, constantly ready to learn new skills, um, and smile because it's some tough. You know, it, it, it's tough. It's tough. Yep. Um, and we should never lose sight of that. Yeah. No, I. I... I would echo really all the things that you've said. And, and again, um, it's been, it's been a wild couple of years. And the thing is, I don't think the gas is going to be let off anytime soon. And I think that's kind of what you're hitting at there, Phil, is the fact that it's like, this is just now steady state, which can yeah. feel overwhelming sometimes. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate you both making the time, especially I know it's later for you there. This was a really fun conversation, digging into it. It was, yeah at Valmas is really important. And hopefully folks who have listened, not only has it maybe helped you understand what some of the tech can do, but also just think differently about how you're evaluating the tech and what you're ultimately seeking to accomplish. Because at the end of the day, the tech is just the enabler. If, if you don't have that foundation and that framework and those partnerships and expertise in place, it's really not going to get you anywhere. So thank you both for making the time and thanks everybody for watching. No, thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you.